0: own that task so when you're presented with that opportunity or that challenge or you see a problem and you think you know if somebody would just fix this somebody's you you found it you fix it you saw it broken you go fix it and find people to encourage you to help you navigate those waters but don't shirk from that responsibility you know if not you who
1: That's Ron Brumbarger, former president and CEO of one of Indiana's first and most successful high-tech companies, Bitwise Solutions. Ron's entering a second phase of his professional career as president of a new startup to address a serious need he's seen in Indiana's employment base. It's called Apprentice University. We'll talk more with Ron Brumbarger on The Hopeful Hoosier, Episode 4. I'm Andy Dix. I met with Ron Brumbarger on a sunny October day in 2018, just a few days before his 54th birthday. We're about the same age. Some of the background noise you'll hear is from the folks that joined us as we sat down for coffee at Soho Cafe and Gallery in Carmel, Indiana. As a dad of one college aged daughter and another daughter who's a senior in high school, I was naturally intrigued to hear about Ron's innovative approach to disrupting the current thinking on the need for college education in order to be successful long-term in the workforce. Apprentice University's innovative approach to launching young careers is both a story of necessity and of accepting responsibility for solving a problem you see might be your mission in life to fix. The big message from episode four is that if you want to do your part to create a brighter and better future here in Indiana, you may need to solve the problem that you see and not wait for someone else to do it. As Zig Ziglar used to say, sometimes, if it is to be, it's up to me. And if we want to create hope for our future, then we must choose to believe that if there is a will, there is a way. As we started our conversation, I asked Ron to summarize the current state of higher education in Indiana.
0: We are blessed to have some amazing universities here in Indiana. The challenge is, however, that only about 15% of the students that start out to go to a particular college, whatever that college might be, actually finish that degree and start working in that field, 15%. So, some drop out after year one, they change majors, uh, they, 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 they quit, whatever the case may be. But at the end of five years, only about 15% of the students that set out to study marketing at XYZ are actually doing it. And how much of an investment have they made in that education by that time? The typical in state tuition is about 20 grand now. 17 to 20 grand. The average graduate today has about a $40,000 coupon book of student loans attached to their degree. So you're on the stage, you get your diploma and your coupon book. And in six months, you're going to get a bill from the government that says start paying. We're actually enrolling students now at Apprentice whose parents are still paying on student loans. Wow. Yeah. What that $40,000.
1: What does it end up really being by the time they, if they pay it off on those installment
0: payments? Well, it's, who knows? I mean, it's 20-year 20 20 year terms in some cases. But it really, what it amounts to is, a, is an anchor around the neck of a kid, of a young adult. You know, I've, in, I've interviewed uh, young professionals, young adults, college graduates at Bitwise, my previous firm.
2: Who came to
0: me and said, "I need to make 60 grand a year." And I said, well, "That's you're brand new. You 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 don't warrant 60 grand. Well, I'll give you 50 with an updraft, but 60, no way." And the response is, "Why well, have all these student loans I have to pay? and I need to buy a car and, and and and." So your student loan debt's not my problem. I I didn't encourage you to do that, but I can't be paying your student loans, and you're not worth 60 grand. But this is a recurring theme. But again, only 15% end up using that, or end up working in that field that they, they sought when and, they went to school.
1: And with that, let's, let's just put a round number against, let's say it's $125 a month of student loan. I don't know sure. what it would be, but let's sure. say it's a round number there. That's also tying up. That money that can't be spent elsewhere in sure, the community where sure, they
0: live, absolutely, to buy
1: groceries, to buy other things that help circulate absolutely.
0: that money, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a parking brake on the launch of a young adult's career. It's a parking brake. They're running around with a parking brake turned on, and they've got two or three hundred dollars a month they have to pay for student loans. And you're right, they can't have a slightly nicer apartment. It just it's a parking brake. That's a that's a good way to think about it. What do we do
1: then? Uh, I mean, you're a dad, you've got college-age kids yourself. The world is changing at a rapid pace. What, whatever the top five careers are being talked about today may not even exist in 10 years.
0: Pretty, pretty much the case, yeah. It's highly likely that the careers that, that a 20-year-old today is going to enter when they're 25, that job title does not yet exist. So what do we do? That is a big, big problem. The biggest challenge is that we're teaching young adults that learning means come to class, copy notes, memorize your notes in chapter six, and take a test on Friday, and we call that learning. What we don't teach them is how to go find the answer, right? How to have that that forensic mindset that I need to stitch together A, B, and C, and draw a conclusion, that critical thinking that everybody talks about it that's missing in young adults. Because, again, today we equate learning with memorized content, take a test, and get a grade. Now, this isn't every kid in every school, by the way. There are, there are some great matches out there. My son, my oldest son, Tanner, was one of those uh, case studies where it was a great fit for him. But the challenge is that we don't teach this, this idea of critical thinking, and, and you know, in my book, I write about this idea of a learning disposition. that you have to be leaning into learning all the time. You and I get this, right? We're constantly looking for new things to learn, and we have an insatiable appetite to learn. And without that learning disposition, what are you going to do? Those job titles that you don't know about yet aren't going to just happen to you. They're going to happen to others that have sought out to understand how those jobs work. Great example, holograms. We've heard about it, we saw it on Star Trek, dating ourselves a bit here, right? We know what holograms are, but holograms are in use today. Not widespread, but in five years from now, why wouldn't we use holograms to communicate? Why not? Well, young adults need to know how to use that kind of technology, or not necessarily how to use it today, but in three, five, seven years, how to understand where to go to learn to figure out how to use it. Because no one's going to bring them the lecture notes for the week and say, memorize this, you do know how to use a hologram. It's not going to happen. Therein lies the problem of higher ed today. We're teaching for careers that are in the rearview mirror. We're not looking forward and saying, these are the careers of the future, because how do you do that in a lecture environment? And, and what costs is the immediate access
1: to information via Siri or Alexa or Google where <coughs> research is a plentiful but hard to verify but it doesn't require critical thinking right sure. what's what's that what's that young
0: person coming out when when they think they don't need to know because they can always just Google it danger right Google may not be at your fingertips and and the answer may not be findable online you might have to stitch cause, effect, and experience together and say, hey, you know, I think this is what's going to occur in the future. But if you're reliant solely upon your phone being available to answer a question, you're, you're doomed. But looking up the answer isn't a problem to be solved. Understanding the problem first is the problem to be solved. Finding the answer is then easy was it, Einstein said, if I had an hour, if I had to solve a problem to save the world, I'd spend the first 55 minutes defining the problem and five minutes looking for the answer, right? That's the key, is how do you define the problem before you start finding the answer? And if, if your job is just to find the answer, then we don't need you. So it can replace you with those tools that you mentioned a minute ago, Siri and Alexa, etc. So once again, define the problem for
1: us with higher education from the student perspective.
0: The biggest problem is that we are still equating memorization to learning, period. We equate memorization to learning in the absence of critical thinking skills.
1: As a father and business owner myself, Ron's statistics were both surprising and concerning to me. Only 15% of college students are finishing their degrees and launching their careers into their field of study? And they're saddled with $40,000 or more of student loan debt? And more importantly, they've not developed the critical problem-solving skills that they need to survive in the rapidly changing marketplace? What are we doing? As the former president and CEO of Bitwise Solutions, one of Indiana's first high-tech firms, Ron struggled to hire qualified talent to meet his business's needs. I asked Ron to share his overall impression of the hireability of most of the new college students he interviewed. His answer was very candid and very alarming. Nearly
0: unhirable. Not every, not every new grad, just for the record, but nearly unhirable. So much so, we simply stopped hiring new grads. We stopped even interviewing new grads. We became so frustrated. My team became so frustrated with it. They wouldn't even have the conversation. I'd have to nearly beg them to just interview somebody fresh out of school. Uh, and, and that problem's not getting any better. Uh, so the cost to the business is where are you going to find talent? You know, how are you going to fill that, that talent pipeline? You know, there's a lot of new job titles out there today. The uh, director of talent acquisition or something, something, talent, whatever, I'm not sure what all the titles are. And I, I challenge those people in that job title that might be listening to this to fresh think your approach. Because the accepting the college graduate as we know them today without pushing them, accepting them is condoning that work product from the universities. And uh, that's not acceptable as an employer. The cost is horrendous to find people and, and you can't just say it's okay. People couldn't see your expression when you said that folks were virtually unhirable right out of
1: school. <laughs> but you were dead and serious. Very serious. What specifically made you come to that conclusion? That's a, that's a, that was an inarguable fact that you threw out there. What, what really when you looked at the talent made you come to that conclusion?
0: First is the the void or near void of skills, uh, status of skill acquisition. You know, the the business world trades on skills, right? The setup that you have here demonstrates you're skilled at this art of grabbing content for a podcast. Uh, I would have to go to school for a little bit to know how to do this. If this is the job you're seeking, As a new grad, and you have no idea what all this is, you can't hire them. Right? So, the world trades on skills, uh, yet, we, and today in higher ed, we trade on grades and credits, not on skills. And when was the last time as an employer or a manager that you care about somebody's grade in their marketing class? No one cares. No one cares how many credits you had. They want to know. Can you do the job? In fact, if you think about it for just a second, employers have only three questions that really matter when they're looking for a new hire. There's only three questions. Can you do the job I need to have done? And can you demonstrate that, right? Can you do the job? Do I like you? Kind of important to get along with the people with whom you work, right? And the third is, can I afford you? That's all that matters. That is all that matters. Everything else is completely superfluous. And then that first question, can you do the job I need to have done? I then said parenthetically, and can you show me evidence of it, right? That's the tracking and capture of skills. And memorizing material, learning content in a book is not skills. If we envision
1: a hardy, high-tech heartland for Indiana's future, then what will we do to address the skills gaps of our emerging workforce? Ron offers his solution when we return. You're listening to The Hopeful Hoosier, Episode 4. The Hopeful Hoosier podcast is made possible in part by AD Growth Advisors, an executive coaching firm based in Indianapolis, helping new and emerging leaders and entrepreneurs accelerate their professional development and growth. Learn more at adgrowthadvisors.com. This is Andy Dix. Now, I'm not being your host at the moment. This is this is actually a commercial for AD Growth Advisors. When I'm not producing the Hopeful Hoosier podcast, I, I'm actually president and board-certified executive coach at AD Growth Advisors Incorporated here in Indianapolis. A lot of people don't understand what an executive coach can do to help them. They, they think that we fix broken people who are one step away from getting fired by HR. And, and really, that's not the kind of person that I typically work with. I like to help a new leader, or even an existing leader who's actually becoming a leader of other leaders, to accelerate their professional development and growth so that they can apply what they may already know, but in new ways, or we can sometimes apply a proven framework to help them grow even faster. I spend a lot of time helping executives understand the science of motivation, what I call motivational intelligence. Once you understand why you do what you do and why other people do what they do, then it becomes really easy to form a relationship that is based on trust and is mutually beneficial. Mutually beneficial trust relationships are really important to help convert their employees from mercenaries who are doing a job just because they're getting paid to do it to missionaries. Those are people who really want to do what you're asking them to do because it matters to them. If you'd like to learn more about our individual approach to leadership development, I call it inspiring leadership. Visit us on the web at adgrowthadvisors.com or call me, Andy Dix, at 317-538-3231. Once again, 317-538-3231. Thanks for listening, and I'll put my host hat on again, and let's get back to our program in just a moment.
3: My name is Harrison Painter and I'm Josh Bach and we are co-founders of Amplify Indie. We have a monthly event called the Amplify Indie Monthly Experience. And we want to invite each and every one of you out to our event. This is where we celebrate community, culture, and commerce. We bring all of us together for an event once a month. At the Amplify Indie Monthly Experience, we showcase a local artist, local musician, a local nonprofit, and we bring in a keynote speaker. You can find out more about our monthly event by going to amplifyindie.com. In the event section or Eventbrite. Uh, just search for the Amplify Indie Monthly Experience. Once again, my name is Harrison Painter, and I am Josh Bach, and we hope to see you there. Amplify Indie Citizens Unite.
1: Welcome back to the Hopeful Hoosier, Episode Four: A Conversation with Ron Brumbarger, President of Apprentice University. Ron's approach to equipping young people to launch their careers faster and with little to no debt is worthy of many potential students' consideration. I asked Ron
0: to share, what's the apprentice experience really like? We dusted off good old-fashioned apprenticeships and said, we can do this. We can create an apprentice model the way that we used to learn. Uh, We can add to it and bolt to it academics that are discussion-based academics. So you have to prepare prior to class to come contribute, discuss, debate, uh, Socratic kind of discussions in some cases uh, about the subject at hand. And we think that creates a well-trained mind with experience that wins in a head-to-head contest with a student who has that marketing degree. Would you rather hire somebody who has 4,500 hours of apprentice-based training and marketing or someone with a marketing degree? I'll tell you about the ingredients an apprentice university for a student. The, the first ingredient is a motivated student. We are unambiguous. If you don't bring a big backpack full of motivation, move on. We can't manufacture that for you. We can't make it for you. We can't give it to you. We can sure encourage it, and we'll sure get behind you and push or in front of you and block or beside you and cheer. But if you don't have a backpack full of motivation, you best not stop here. So what does that
1: really look like? What are they motivated to achieve or do? I want to launch my career.
0: I want to go get it. I might change my mind in a year about what I'm working on, but I want to get my career started. And I know that... I need, I need training to do that. I need to be taught, I need to be mentored, I need to be coached, but I want to start my career. That's, that's the path. I'm tired of sitting in classes and, and memorizing again. I want to get started, I want to work, I want to learn on the job, I want to be taught by professionals that have been doing that for a long time. Second ingredient is imagine this, apprenticeships. So for us, a typical student is going to have a little more than 4,000 hours of apprenticeship-based training when they graduate from Apprentice University. A typical student for us is going to have six apprenticeships lasting about five months apiece, plus or minus, uh, hence the 4,000 hours of apprentice-based training. And they're going to be with some of the top-notch companies that you know of here in the region of Indianapolis and growing every day. We're adding new companies all the time. So motivation, apprenticeships, I mentioned academics. We have classes that run every Friday from eight o'clock till five o'clock. But our students are in their apprenticeship Monday through Thursday and then they're in our classes on Friday. So they're very busy. What's the importance
1: of being at six different apprenticeships over the course of their term
0: with you? Six is a number we have found to be probably the right prescription so let's use a metaphor of golf. The first apprenticeship a student starts out on, they're up two strokes. They're, they're not really adding value that, that first month of that first apprenticeship. It's really hard. Any, anybody new on a job your first month, it's really hard to add any kind of value, right? So that month one, they're up to. Month two, we hope that they've gained a little ground and now maybe they're even down to, right? So they've kind of earned back that which they lost month, the, the month one. So now they're even at the end of month two. And to our employers, It's a good investment, right? They're looking, hey, first month, you know, your quick study, you're Kim in here, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to roll. So now at the end of two months, we're back to even. And then months three through five, that student has a chance to really add value to that company, right? I mean, serious value. What we've learned is at the end of about 12 months or so, light bulbs start going on. I've just finished my second apprenticeship. I'm a couple months into my third one and I really like this, and the leadership of Apprentice University put me in apprenticeships that I didn't quite expect, and now all of a sudden, I really like it. I didn't even know this career existed, and I happen to really like it. And so then the light bulb goes on, and then we need that third and fourth apprenticeship to help them kind of test the waters, get their feet wet, and then the last one or two really sets them up for a launch in their career. It's a deep dive. It's... They're a big player on a team working in whatever field they're in. Uh, they're not just a beginning student. Now they've got 3,500 hours of apprentice-based training under their belt. They have yeah. several apprenticeships in their field of study or their interest. And now they're really adding value. And they're building a portfolio and a resume that's second to none. So,
1: Ryan, as a, as a parent myself, my concern would be, A, on the plus side, this is great. They're getting them up to speed. They're getting actual on-the-job training in with the network, great referrals and reference base and a portfolio of work. On the downside, when they're 25 years in and they're up for a promotion, does it hold them back that, yes, they have the experience, but they don't have the education? So many jobs
0: require that that diploma sure. as, a,
1: as even to get through the scanning of the computer-assisted hiring method.
0: I would agree with you, decreasingly so. One needn't look too far to find the article from Ernst Young saying we're no longer filtering on college degrees. Google, Microsoft, Apple, no longer filtering on college degrees. I said in a meeting this week for the first time in a year and a half where someone said we require a college degree to work here. First time in a year and a half. And we talked to some big companies and some little companies and they said we won't even entertain our students unless they have a college degree. Well, I think that's very short-sighted and that company is going to have to rethink that strategy down the road. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to hit the exact same plight I described at Bitwise, where you, you, you spend all your time looking for talent and not running your business. You spend all your time looking for people.
1: Well, and is it safe to say that with your experience with Bitwise and with so many of the, the real leading-edge technology, whether it's agribusiness here in Indiana, uh, life sciences—it doesn't matter. So much of it has not even been invented yet, and so if you don't know how to adapt, learn, solve problems, sure, there's no test that prepares you no. for no. what you're going to end up needing. Nor, to be
0: done. nor does your three-year-old degree. Right. It means nothing. Your degree really only gets your door open for you—the first job—and after that, what do you want to do? So our students are going to, when they leave Apprentice University, you know, they've got those half a dozen apprenticeships under their belt, a very solid Rolodex of, of, of relationships that they own, a portfolio of experience, back to your question about, you know, do I send my kid here, why should I be worried? Think about it like this, worst case scenario, you send your 18 year old to Apprentice University, or your 18 your year old rather, chooses to go to Apprentice University and you embrace that rather than you dragging them. We would much rather see the latter than the former, you know, encouraging them, not having to force them to come. Uh, Worst case scenario, at 21 years old, they've got two and a half years' experience. There's no debt. They've earned their tuition back. There's no debt. They have chosen a career path. Hopefully, after six apprenticeships, they've found something they want to do. And if that career path, leads them to a place where major employers in that particular field do still require a bachelor's degree for whatever reason, then go get it. Mm -hmm. But you're not wasting your time spinning around in circles the first two or three years of college dropping twenty grand a year and not knowing where to go next. And you're
1: born mature and you can get through the program better and you've learned how to learn. Imagine that. What's the cost comparison between Apprentice University and a regular state school.
0: Not sure, what state tuition is, but let's say it's eighteen thousand dollars a year. So we'll make it easy, twenty. So we can do the math, right? So seventy-five thousand dollars over four years in tuition. And maybe it's only sixty plus room and board, right? I can't fix room and board. You got to eat and sleep. I can't fix that. Uh, so let's say sixty thousand dollars over four years. Um, our students pay uh, nine hundred dollars a month for tuition. Now, it's a very important difference because we don't take student loans. You can't borrow money from the federal government to come to Apprentice University. So you're going to spend $60,000 in tuition. With us, you're going to spend $11,000 a year in tuition, but you're also going to earn twelve or $13,000 a year as a beginning apprentice. And then as you mature through the program, you're going to earn more. The tuition stays flat. So you're going to out-earn the cost of your tuition. So you're investing in yourself the whole time, there's no debt at Apprentice University. So instead of $60,000 out of your pocket, at Apprentice University, you're gonna spend, you're with us two and a half years, $11,000 a year, so we'll call it, sake of conversation, 30 grand, right? You're gonna have earned 35, 33, 35. So your net is about zero after taxes. And you're not out a bunch of loans. And you don't have your coupon book for student loan debt. Would a student
1: who envisions not an either or, but an and program, so let's say, for example, they wanted the hands-on apprenticeship, but they also wanted to do, you know, part-time online at Ivy Tech. Go for they, it. Would they be able to do Absolutely. something like that?
0: Absolutely. We're, we're all about the end in education. We can't be everything to everybody. We can't offer every course that somebody wants to understand. We're all about the end. Either and while you're working with us, and before you come to us, And after you're finished with us, however it works out, why wouldn't we want the best for that young person? If we're a piece of their equation for launching their career, if we're a big piece or a little piece of that equation for them, why wouldn't we want what's best for them, however they get that learning? Maybe they want to study Spanish. Maybe they're taking Spanish from some guy in Barcelona online instead of running down to a campus and fighting traffic and, and, and. So we're all about the end for a student in their education. You know, we're constantly looking at where is a student's progression? Where's their skill level? What's their next apprenticeship look like? How do we challenge them in their next apprenticeship? How do we make them stagger when they show up because it seems daunting on day one? And then on at the end of that five-month window, they look back at it and say, got that. How do we, How do we set them up? so that as they go through that process, each one becomes intimidating at the front end and a victory dance at the back end because they were able to accomplish. So as a
1: dad of a 17-year-old daughter, what would be the top three selling points for me to sell her on at least considering Apprentice University as a possibility?
0: First and foremost is Trite as this might sound is our community, because we don't use grades. We think grades are a, a, a legacy of a broken education system that means nothing. When was the last time you got a grade? We don't do that. We don't memorize things and we don't do grades. That's our model, right? We don't, we don't, our model doesn't call for that. So the first and foremost is, is a community that's going to embrace that student and encourage them, help them learn, encourage them, hold them accountable and vice versa but encourage them to learn in a community that's got some of the brightest young adults I've ever met, some of the average young adults that are out there, and some young adults that, you know, they're yet to blossom. They will in due time. Secondly, we talk a lot about the pressure parents put on a 17- or 18-year-old. We'll look them square in the eye and say, what are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? And the reality is, they probably only know two careers, yours and your wife's. And they got to pick from one of those two. And if neither of those are of interest to them, what next? And and how do they guess? Don't guess. When we encounter a young adult coming to apprentice, if they say, I really don't know what I want to do, best possible answer to that question. The minute you think you do, let me challenge you to it. Let me really tussle with you and make sure that you're really confident why that's a career path you want to take. So the first is community. The second is to just figure out which way is your compass pointing, right? The Jack Sparrow compass that doesn't point north. And I suggest to you, and so to your daughter, I suggest to you that her peers, when asked that question, what are you going to do when you grow up? They answer it like that, Johnny on the spot, right? They're lying. They're faking it. They don't really know You know why they're saying it? They're saying it because that makes the question go away. I'm gonna be a teacher. Oh, what a noble profession. I wanna be a physical therapist. Oh, that's cool, it's gonna take you a while, but they may not know, they may not have any idea what a physical therapist does. Many times they've never even seen these careers. But it makes the question go away. We, on the other hand, say, we want you to not know. We want you to come in here with a blank slate and say, paint on my canvas, help me figure this thing out. We want that. If you come in here, heels dug in, I'm going to do this, that's going to be a challenge. You're, you're not a teachable mindset. So community, which way is my compass pointing? And I think the third thing is an environment, not necessarily just our community, but an environment that is looking to coach and teach that student in a holistic fashion, right? Not just academics, not just on the job training. We wrestle with the maturity level of a student. We wrestle with how do we prepare them. We just put out a paper this weekend on handshakes to haircuts, how to make a great first impression. We think a lot about these things. And you can tell an 18-year-old young man, you need to get a haircut if he's your son. And you know what happens? You know what he hears? Womp womp, 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 right? We can tell them you need to get a haircut, and the following day their hair is cut. We tell them you may not come to class on Friday unless you're dressed like this and your hair looks like this. We're pretty strict. We have a lot of business partners in you know, on, on campus. If you'll allow that term on Fridays, we have a lot of business partners in there, a lot of professionals, and we talk about how to dress. We talk about your hair, talk about your beard length. You can't have a scraggly beard. or you want your hair washed. No T-shirts, no shorts, no tennis shoes stepping up. We, we think a lot about just beyond the career and what's next for you. We think about that student holistically.
1: Here's a thought that might be really hard for a helicopter parent to get their mind around. What if a young adult's grade point average is actually irrelevant in the marketplace? There's no grades at Apprentice University. Grades are replaced by digital achievement badges that are awarded when a student completes the badge requirements and demonstrates real capability or mastery of the assigned task. Ron explained how their badging system works. So we
0: use a a badging system, a digital badging system we've built. and Each of those badges encapsulates an array of skills that a student has demonstrated they, they know how to do. For example, we have a badge in Excel, Word, PowerPoint, all the apps out there you can imagine. We have a badge in the etiquette. We have a badge in professional communications. We have a badge in constitutional studies and want you to understand how and why the Constitution is constructed as it sh- as it is today. A document we have respect for. Uh, but not only are they going to say, I've done this, here are the badges that I was issued that demonstrated I know how to do these things. And even more so, if you click on that badge, you can see the artifacts that I produced that demonstrated I know how to construct a pivot table in Excel. I've done it. Now, if you ask me to do it today, I'll have to go back to my previous work. I might have to watch a YouTube video, but I've done it, and I can be back up to speed in an hour and be all productive versus what's Excel.
1: Is there anything else you think is really important for a parent or a prospective student to understand about Apprentice University and the difference between apprenticeship as it stands right now for Apprentice University and state school or private school for that matter?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest difference is the realization that the world's economy trades on skills, and you don't get skills in a traditional classroom. That's not where skills are, are, are made going to college to figure out what we're going to do is like going to the grocery store hungry. It's a bad, bad, bad idea. Apprentice University
1: does offer some really unique experiences for
0: the cohort. So the first thing is our students all work at a pig farm for three weeks in their course of their career with us. We want them to earn the grit badge. It's a required badge to graduate. But in our our model, students come in together and there's an agreement they have with each other to hold one another accountable to the completion of their assignments and their onboarding processes uh, their academics uh, their work etc so there's an agreement they have uh, to hold each other accountable quick story we had a, a student leave this summer a bit abruptly and one of the students that was in their cohort stood up and said i'm responsible I should have been more engaged, encouraged the student to change course, change attitude, change directions. I didn't. I own it. Now, really wasn't his fault, but he stood up and owned the choices and decisions of a fellow student. I should have owned changing their mind. Think about that. When was the last time you heard a coworker step up and say, I know you failed, but I own your failure for not telling you how to do it differently. That's what we're working on. Can you believe that? Find that at any at any other educational organization around. Find that. Tell me where it is. Bet it's not out there. You know, we're always enrolling students year-round. Uh, we really don't run on an agrarian calendar. Our classes do because you have to start, to start sometime. But we enroll students, hire students year-round. Our students are both enrolled and employed by us if they're full apprentices. Uh, So as I mentioned, they're earning along the way. If somebody wants information on Apprentice University, where do they go? Uh, ApprenticeU.com or Apprentice.University, either one leads you to our website. They can send us an email. We have monthly info sessions, as we call it, to come and learn more. It's a 90 minute, here's how we work, here's what's in it for you, this is what to expect, kind of a dialogue.
1: And the physical location of the French University is rare. We're in Brownsburg,
0: only eight minutes from 465. The minute you turn off of 74, 465. To our door is eight minutes. It's not a very long drive.
1: When we return to our conversation with Ron Brumbarker, we'll find out what gives Ron the most hope for our brighter and better future in Indiana, and he's going to share his advice and challenge about accepting responsibility for fixing the problem that you see is yours to fix. We'll be right back with more after this. The Hopeful Hoosier podcast is made possible in part by AD Growth Advisors, an executive coaching firm based in Indianapolis, helping new and emerging leaders and entrepreneurs accelerate their professional development and growth. Learn more at adgrowthadvisors.com. Well, hello, everybody.
3: This is Harrison Painter. And Josh Bach. And we are the co-hosts of the Amplify Indie Podcast. The goal of the Amplify Indie Podcast is to truly bring together and amplify those ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We talk about events in the community and we create opportunity for conversation to talk about possibilities. We're bringing together folks in the cause-driven world, the business world, and the people that we serve. And we're building a stronger community. To find out more about us, go to amplifyindy.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or anywhere where you get your podcasts. It's a lot of fun. Let's do this. Once again, my name is Harrison Painter. And I'm Josh Bach. Tune into the Amplify Indy podcast. Love, Love it. it.
1: Are you a leader who's frustrated with trying to bring out the best in your people every day? Would you like to know the secret to motivating people so that they actually want to do what you're asking them to do? Hi, I'm Andy Dix, and I am president and a board-certified executive coach at AD Growth Advisors, an Indianapolis executive coaching firm. I help new and emerging leaders accelerate their professional development and growth so that they can bring out the best consistent performance from everyone they lead. If you'd like to talk about what matters most to you, give me a call at 317-538-3231. Once again, 317-538-3231. Or visit us on the web at adgrowthadvisors.com. Let's have a conversation about motivation. It's why we do what we do.
0: Walk the Talk Speaker Series presents stories told by passionate speakers on topics that are timely yet timeless. For more information, visit walkthetalkseries.com. Our mission is to create an epic shift and how people think.
1: Before we get back to our conversation with Ron Brumbarger, president of Apprentice University, I'll ask you to think about what do you believe about hope? Do you think hope is just a wish or does it mean something much more? I think it means anticipation that something is going to happen. And I explore the true meaning of hope and why I think the work of the people that I interview on the Hopeful Hoosier podcast is important in episode one. If you haven't listened to the short episode one, pause here, give it a listen, and then come back. It's okay, we'll wait. Now let's return to the Soho Cafe and Gallery in Carmel, Indiana, with more from Ron Birnbarger. So Ron, you had a successful business. Uh, You
0: wrote a successful book. The title of the book is... You're Always Being Interviewed. Available on Amazon. Or if you find me, I'll sell you one. You were one of
1: the original tech leaders here in the state of Indiana with Bitwise Solutions. What in the world got you thinking that you needed to start Apprentice University?
0: The driver behind it was finding talent for Bitwise. It was this non-ending dearth of talent that I just couldn't find people. And decided that if I'm going to keep expecting what I call the, the corporate farms, the universities to produce a crop every May that I could actually use that we were going to continue to struggle to try to find people. And it's always a fight. And decided, you know what, if I've got this problem, other people have this problem. So I decided to plant a garden and grow my own. Now, I've since sold Bitwise, but there are a lot of my friends out there that need talent also. So in the process of deciding to grow a garden, I decided to grow a cooperative garden. And and the idea of this cooperative garden is that these, today about two dozen, going going to three dozen here very soon companies, have the same kind of need. These companies understand, hey, if I pull a little bit on this rope, I have access to this talent that without it, I may not be able to, to, uh, to obtain. But what really matters most to you about this? Personally, is being able to look a student in the eye and say, you know, We really want what's best for you as a student and and seeing them blossom in their career. That's a big deal. It's a lot of fun to work with students, to watch the sponges picking up uh, what's going on, but to make a comment and then hear two, three, four weeks later that same phrase and you think, I'm the only person I've ever heard say that. So they're listening to what you say. They're constantly interviewing you. So you're always on. It makes you sharper, it makes you learn fast, and you go to bed smarter every day. So if I get to help a kid, launch their career, and at the same time, I get to learn with them along the way, bring it on. At some point, this idea for Apprentice University had to hit me. Take us to that
1: moment, as best you can remember, and kind of describe what was going on, and, and how did this idea come, and and what were your kind of initial reactions to it? Did it happen right away, or was it kind of a build, or what happened?
0: Yeah, so you may remember for many years we ran a program at Bitwise called Bitwise Fellows. They are high school students that worked for us. We did that for about 11 years. We had 80-some students go through that program. Some have incredible job titles today all over the planet. Uh, Both of my sons went through it, and that uh, was very fruitful for our students. We were able to hire some of these young adults uh, right out of high school for a while, and then they go off to college, and I thought, you know, we had a hole in our bucket. They're leaving, right? So I started conceiving this idea of, hey, I can teach them these skills. We are teaching them these skills. They're here at Bitwise running their own little business, Bitwise Fellows, building websites for small businesses. And I'm watching them grow and mature. And uh, Cindy and I homeschooled, mostly Cindy, my wife, uh, homeschooled our two boys uh, through high school. So we're already uh, accustomed to thinking innovatively about education. I had started the state's first virtual charter school at the request of the Daniels administration in their first term. So I had experience in reimagining education. So I would say it would have been, so we're five and a half years old, about seven years ago now. And I remember, I remember now that you asked this question, sitting in my office on an early Saturday morning, and I got my music cranked up. I'm the only one there, right? I got the music just jamming, and I got a whiteboard and my, and my laptop's going. And I'm crafting the original vision document for Apprentice University. What does a student experience along the way? And we've changed that a lot over five years. We've pivoted this, turned this off, turned this on, uh, discontinued this, added that kind of thing. But the original vision was experiential learning, the way that, again, the way that we've always done it, the way that Jesus learned to be a carpenter. Think about it.
1: You're disrupting the status quo, and that's never something that the status quo likes. So you've probably had your fair share of critics and naysayers. What have they said, and what have you done to
0: to keep moving forward? Sure. We we'll get that a lot. We also have many in higher ed who love what we're doing, and they are jealous that we're not dealing with the accrediting bodies out there and the red tape that comes along with taking federal money and the fact that we get to practice what we call education unrestricted. So we've got a fair number of cheerleaders, uh, but we do have some detractors out there that say, well, you're not accredited, you know, you can't be serious, you can't have, uh, you know, you should have PhDs teaching your classes and so forth. We have a class in accounting, we have a CPA who teaches the class. Really, it's an intro to accounting class. Why do I need a Ph.D. to teach an intro to accounting? Uh, so we have that. We have a lot of, a lot of folks that say, you know, this, uh, you don't take credits. Surely your students are going to need to get a degree in order to compete, etc. We just say, okay, thank you very much for the words of encouragement. We're moving on down our trail. We no longer, in our conversations with families, mention nor sell against typical higher ed. The first three years we did, we had to set ourselves apart, we had to justify the differences in the cost and culture and so forth. Uh, that's no longer part of our conversations. The cha- that change is coming, it's coming fast. Uh, a little dip in the economy will cause people to rethink these tuition prices again, the housing bubble is percolating up a little bit, so if that gets a little tighter, some of that spare money might not be there. People are going to give you start to second guess where that money is going and those expenses, looking for more economic or frugal ways to launch a career. That's okay. Those will come. We're already experiencing 250% growth this year, and we're still bringing students in. Ron,
1: what excites you the most about the future you're co-creating here?
0: You know, I think the fact that we can continue to innovate and push, push the innovative envelope for where we are today, and continue to better and better and better our program without having to go get permission from somebody to do it, we can listen to the market, we can listen to our families, our students, our employer partners, and we can keep getting better and better and better at what we're doing. Uh, additionally, I think the, you know, the the caliber of students that we have on board is frankly jaw-dropping to to see the type of students that we have that that we're attracting now that are destined to be leaders in their respective businesses and industries it's pretty remarkable
1: when you see these people out working earning for their families at their early 20s now sure sure they're not they're not in their late 20s with these big debts what gives you the most hope when you really look at it as, as what they're going to contribute to the future and what Apprentice University's contribution was to their future.
0: My hope is that they have a framework to make well-considered decisions. Very well-considered decisions. Uh, you know, at, at Apprentice, we are not Apprentice Christian University where we don't hold our faith back. We're not, and we're not shy about sharing it. In fact, our, our student applications say these are things you will encounter in student life, ours with eight tenets of our faith. If these give you heartburn, stop now. Uh, but that our students would make thoughtful, God-honoring decisions because we've equipped them with the tools to do that.
1: When you're faced with challenges, and there's been plenty, I'm sure, in setting up this, Three or four. <laughs> where do you find your hope? Meaning, we're going to figure out a solution to keep keep going. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where do you find your hope to keep going?
0: Where I find my hope. Two years ago, we were challenged by one of our dear friends, the, the the guys at Shepherd Community Center, good friends of ours, one of our partners. They asked us point blank, "Would you please prepare a list of things we can pray for you about?" Yeah. Sure. Not, not had that request to put it in writing, so we did. And Andy, I will tell you, God stepped up and in order. Tells you God knows how to count. God has a bit of OCD. He <laughs> keeps it in order, right? Uh, in order, God answered every one of our five items on our prayer list. Now I'm not saying write it, put it down, writing God will give it to, you but clearly God's at work here. If you look at the community, if you look at the if you look at the students we've attracted, if you look at Frankly, the doors that have been opened that we would not have been able to do on our own, um, the the zig when we should have zagged, and we didn't know any better. Just what God told us to do. The connections, the network, the people that are praying for us, the the character of our partners. Uh, for me, it's God's in control. My job is not screwed up. I don't put don't put it in the ditch, Ron. Right? Don't don't turn the wheel at the wrong time. Uh, so I think that's the that's the biggest thing for me is just to see God's work at hand and apprentice. And something special is really going on there. It is very special. And you have to see it to understand it. So if someone stayed with us
1: through this conversation, what do you think is the most important point that you'd like them to take away from what we've been talking about?
0: You know, thinking about your mission of what you're doing, you see problems every day. You see challenges. You see there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way to do that. Don't just run by it and not try it, right? How do you solve it? How do you grab that bull by the horns and fix it? And starting a university was not in my plan just a handful of years ago. I never fathomed this would be the case. But we're here, and let's go, right? But when you see a problem, how do you how do you take a fresh approach? How do you reimagine a way to solve that problem or to help a person? by solving that problem and we are all about the art of ideation at apprentice university we like to free think ideas and reimagine problems we solve problems in a different way uh, so i would say when you're faced with a challenge out there is to challenge yourself how do i fresh think how to solve this instead of well i've always done it this way and there's got to be a better way how do you fresh think how to do that and that should, hopefully then, give you hope, right? To try something fresh, try something new instead of, well, I failed. No, try again. Failure is not bad. Quitting is bad.
1: You've got this idea that won't go away, or you see this problem that you feel like it's yours to solve because you either do something about it or complain about it. Which if not, me, if not
0: me, who, right, right. yes.
1: Most people get stuck, in my opinion, because they can't think of what's the first step. Sure. In Ron's opinion, what's the first step? What's the first
0: step? Find, find and create a picture of the person whom you wish to serve. What's that persona? Right? What's their, what's their age? Is, is it a guy, gal, both? Uh, find and create that, a picture of that persona. Put a poster on your wall if you can of that person that you want know, to serve. And then think about what goes on in the day of life of that young adult, your 17-year-old daughter, what goes on in the life of that young lady, and how can I serve her, right? So you're getting behind that, that person and thinking, how do I serve them? You're, you're living a day in their life, and how do you serve them? Uh, and then you start figuring out, I can fix that. Oh, that's a big problem to this young lady? I got that. I might let her struggle with it a little bit. I might let her wrestle with it because it's not all bad. But I won't let her die on that hook. I can solve that before she realizes she's out of rope, right? Um, that's the key is find that persona, have that empathy. I wrote an article about this, um, That the, the, the necessary empathy for an entrepreneur. That if you don't have that empathy as an entrepreneur, you're done. If you stopped feeling what your customers need, you're done.
1: I like to think at the end, if somebody stayed with us here this long through this conversation, what challenge do you want to personally issue to them to be a part of making a better, brighter future for
0: Indiana? I think the challenge I would give to someone is not to shirk from the opportunity or the responsibility to solve a problem or create an opportunity rather look at it and say how do i solve that how might i attack that and and then ask yourself if it's not me who if i don't who will and don't expect somebody else it's like the dishes in your sink right everybody has them it's okay to smile you know the mic sinks never dirty everybody has dishes in their sink, right if you don't put them away who will right own that task. So when you're presented with that opportunity, or that challenge, or you see a problem and you think, you know, if somebody would just fix this, somebody's you. You found it, you fix it. You saw it broken, you go fix it. And uh, find people to encourage you to help you navigate those waters, but don't shirk from that responsibility. You know, If not you, who? Love that. Or the, what's the, uh, the, the quote, uh, so popular quote, the book of Ezra, right? For a time such as this, right? You were created, read that book, it's a, it's a fascinating story. You were created for a time such as this. This time, this place, you, cautiously groomed and prepared to solve this problem. You, singularly, to solve this problem. No what else? for a time such as this.
1: What if you are specifically here for such a time as this? Is this your time to make a positive difference in a better and brighter future for Indiana? I hope you're starting to, as Ron says, fresh think whatever problem is yours to solve. Our future's counting on you not just knowing how to fix it, but mainly on saying yes to fixing it. Own it. It's your problem. As we wrapped up our conversation, Ron shared how to get more information if you're interested in learning about the innovative approach to launching a career at Apprentice University.
0: I think to understand Apprentice University and what we call that education unrestricted, you gotta see it. You gotta come see it. You gotta come as a business professional, come sit in the back of the class and listen to the conversation. It's not your typical classroom. It's not listening to lecture with notes. Do a little of that just to get salient points across, but just come experience what that looks like. Meet some of our students. Come put names and faces together and understand why of our 20 apprentices that we have, we have about 45 students in total. Of our 20 apprentices right now, four of them are Eagle Scouts. Come understand why this is something special and meet the character of these students. You can't learn about it off our website or a PDF that we send you or even coming to one of our info sessions for a few minutes on the evening. Come visit and see who, see what we're doing.
1: What if my company wants to be involved and in, in be hosting apprentices? How can, how can I do
0: that? We are all about our corporate partners, because without our corporate partners, our world does not go around. The cooperative garden doesn't get weeded and watered, right? Uh, Contact me. Uh, You can find me online, Ron, at Apprentice.University. We're all about adding new corporate partners in a wide variety of areas. We have RT Moore. It's a heating, plumbing, air conditioning company to a podcast digital marketing firm to software companies we have newspapers wide varieties of companies in our, in our partner network and they all have one thing in common they will understand that they're part of the strategy to grow future talent and they may get to hire a student next year and they may not but they're going to benefit along the way
1: Ron, thank you so much for your time it's my and pleasure, insights. thanks for That's having awesome. me you are a open loser. well thanks buddy Thanks to our guest, Ron Brumbarger, and special thanks to Soho Cafe and Gallery in Carmel for allowing us to record this episode there. They served up some tasty coffee and display some terrific local art. If you like hearing from local people creating a better and brighter future for us here in Indiana, please subscribe to The Hopeful Hoosier wherever you download your podcasts. We always appreciate your positive comments and reviews. It helps us raise our ranking and awareness for our project. Until next episode, I'm your hopeful Hoosier host, Andy Dix. Thanks for listening to episode four. The Hopeful Hoosier Podcast is a production of AD Growth Advisors Incorporated. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.